I call this the soul journey where there's these 12 steps that everyone's gonna go on on each soul journey that we take, where first we start to hear these whispers and inevitably our first reaction is gonna be shush, 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 not ready to answer. That is way too big of a question. I'm just gonna go on with my life, go to work, come home, watch Netflix, eat dinner, go to bed. And I'm not gonna look at these big questions. And then maybe some sort of guide will appear. Dr. Elisa is back and I'm so thankful to be reconnecting with her. I remember how phenomenal the last episode was and I was like, she needs to be back on the show. Oh, that's so sweet. I remember having so much fun with you. It was, it was, I think it was in November. So it was before Soul Bride even came out. Yes, it was right before Soul Bride even came out. And then, yeah. and then we released it, of course, when it was out. But yeah. what is now lighting you up most in this season of your life? Oh, that's such a great question. I, summer really lights me up and specifically August because it is sort of my birth month in that my natal birthday is on the 23rd and my sober birthday is on August 11th. Oh, that's big. It is big. So August is like a really big month for me to sort of be a little, you know, look at my perspective. Where am I? Where have I been? What am I doing next? And yeah, it's it, it's a lot of inner work during the summer for sure. Oh, no kidding. Question about your sobriety. How many years has it been? Once August 11 hints. Um, God willing, August 11th, I'll have 21 years sober. 21. That's a magical number for this as well. I know, I know. I'm going to start celebrating that year instead of my my actual age. <laughs> I can always combine the birthday the birthday party, so it doesn't really, you know, so we're not really talking about. Yeah. <laughs> now, one question that I'm curious about cuz today we're going to talk a lot about um trauma, healing trauma and also understanding how to uh, navigate and access our conscious mind and and bring the connect the unconscious with the conscious. So I'd love to ask first though, how would you define the unconscious and the conscious mind? So the conscious mind really refers to our immediate awareness, to our thoughts, our perceptions, our feelings, our sensations that we're having in the present moment. So it's, you know, it's the process that we can readily access and that we can engage with. Um, it's really the part of our brain that we'll like often refer to as the, you know, the logical reasoning, the prefrontal cortex, if you will, where, you know, we're really focused on attention and decision making and self-awareness. And the unconscious mind so I look at the unconscious mind from a depth perspective, which is what I study, depth psychology and archetypal psychology. And so the unconscious mind is really where the vast and influential part of our psyche that operates outside of our conscious awareness and really shapes our behavior. So... It's where we can, it's what influences our behaviors and our attitude, right? So if we're thinking about the personal unconscious, that is where something that was maybe once present is no longer present. It's a place where our feelings and our ideas that maybe are waiting to trigger you are home to our complexes and really where we have these unknowing influences that affect our attitude and behavior. And then we also, Jung introduced this idea of the collective unconscious, which is really home to all of our in, inherited universal 
experiences. This is where our archetypes live. Ooh, do you mind explaining the archetypes a bit more? Mm -hmm. So for instance, archetypes, the hero, the villain, the mother, they're cross-cultural. And, you know, if you go back to someone like Joseph Campbell, who is one of the great mythologists and teachers of mythology, he talks about archetypes, how everyone understands them, right? You can say the hero, you can say the villain, you can say the mother, right? It's something that you inherently know when you see it. It's why movies or art or something that are portraying that really resonate on such a deep level with everyone because it's something that is just inherited. It's a universal experience of that particular thing. But, you know, what happens is in our personal unconscious is that we have these archetypes, right? But we then add around that our own set of feelings and emotions. So for instance, the trickster is an archetype. But for me, the way that I would identify the disease of addiction for myself, I named her Trixie. I talk about Trixie a lot in the book. And Trixie was a way of me personifying, if you will, that archetype of the trickster. So the trickster is an archetype that everyone kind of would recognize as as actual, you know, we've seen it show up in movies. We can sense it when it's there. The collective unconscious is where all archetypes live. We're not going to necessarily tap into every single one. We're going to tap into the ones that make sense to us. But don't forget the collective unconscious and the unconscious are all exactly that. They're unconscious, right? So they're waiting to be tapped into or they're coming out as triggers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious also how trauma might affect one's consciousness and also unconsciousness and overall mental health. Yeah. So trauma is so complex because it's not necessarily about the event that happens. The event that happens is it can be an acute event. So an accident, an assault, abuse, a disaster. It can be a chronic event, ongoing bullying, um, a lack of attachment with a parent. And then there's complex trauma, which is pretty much a combination of both, where trauma's gotten coupled on top of each other and is now really, really complex and often where we see complex PTSD. And so it's very subjective, the experience of trauma. And what I mean by that is, let's say you're a fireman and you're used to running into a burning building. So when you see a fire, it's not going to feel as traumatic for you, right? because it's something that you've experienced before. It's not something that really is an event that's so extraordinary or unfamiliar or that's outside their coping ability. Someone that has never experienced that, it's gonna be wildly traumatic. So there are different degrees of trauma. So obviously the firefighter, he's been trained to pursue the fire, therefore he's not likely to have trauma, but someone might have their whole entire house burned down and that could be extremely traumatizing and somebody else might have barely escaped a fire which could be very traumatizing and there's also perhaps something like somebody hurt their feelings and that could be a defined as another version of trauma what are the varying degrees of trauma and how do they manifest in people's lives they're subjective because it's almost something right that takes us out of our coping ability. It's something that is unfamiliar to us. 
So it's really going to depend on the person. It's not that we're not all not going to experience trauma. This is something that I get asked all the time. In fact, I just was talking about all the different sim possible symptoms of traumatic events. And someone said, yeah, well, then everyone has trauma. And the answer is, yes, everyone might have experienced something that's traumatic, but everyone is not left with tra trauma wounds, which are physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, psychological symptoms, biological symptoms. And that is why when we're speaking about trauma, it's so it's such a complex thing because we're talking about the neurobiology. We're talking about how it affects the brain, how it affects the nervous system. And I, of course, talk about how it affects the soul. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm curious what are some common symptoms and signs that we might look out for for ourselves if we know or we don't, may not realize that we've experienced trauma, but we might be experiencing certain common symptoms and signs and experiences within the soul as well, just to know what to look out for and perhaps seek help. Well, with physical symptoms, you might notice more migraines or more headaches, being really tired and having some sleep disturbances or gastrointestinal problems, a change in appetite, increased sensitivity to sensory stimuli, chronic health issues, addiction, chronic pain, autoimmune disorders. So things like that. Emotionally, you might suffer from self-esteem issues, self-worth. You might often have heightened emotions of fear or anger or sadness that don't necessarily correlate to the experience that you're having at that moment. You can have psychological effects such as PTSD, depression, anxiety, dissociation, and you're also going to have biological effects where really you're going to have an imbalance, right, of dopamine and serotonin. You're going to be in a constant state of fight or flight or freeze. So all of these things are going on at the same time. Ah, now how do we cope with these when they do arise, when the tragedy or the trauma strikes? How do we cope with these emotions or these experiences, the symptoms when they arise? I mean, that's such a great question. Most people, I would say, are not necessarily aware that these symptoms are related to a traumatic experience they had in their past. Some people will remember a traumatic experience, but a lot of times our memories, because of the way information's coming in and because we're shutting down when something happens, it's an automatic shutdown of our prefrontal cortex. So we're not taking in memories the same way. So we don't necessarily remember the trauma. And so we can't remember the trauma, we're not necessarily correlating, right, our symptoms, and we don't know how to cope with our emotions. And so we're left with having addiction issues or the disorders that I just talked about. And so if you find yourself consistently struggling with these things and medications may be not working, or there's constant relapse, or you just feel connected disconnected from your sense of self, then really maybe it's time to speak to someone that is a trauma expert and can really look at what's going on for you and maybe highlight some of those symptoms. But, you know, when I talk about it, if you are aware of it, if you do know that you have these traumatic emotions, then it's really okay to feel at times. It's okay to seek support. Self-care is essential. And, you know, it's important to seek professional help. And 
What I like to do is once you've done that and you're in a safe place and you really understand what your trauma is, then we can start to seek meaning and purpose in your life today. I love a natural look with some shimmer. I love that lightly soft contour, but add, of course, some shimmer and some blush, some highlighter, a whisk of eyeliner on the outer edges, and, of course, a strong lengthening mascara that does not clump or flake. That's basically the look I usually go for. So whether you like a more natural look or full glam or somewhere in between, you'd love Thrive Cosmetics because you're not only getting quality cosmetics, but you're also contributing to a good cause. And you also might already know of them as they have a pretty viral, vibrant turquoise tube on social media for their mascara and it is a game changer. It is. I'm so happy that Thrive Cosmetics is not just stunning, but also 100% vegan and cruelty-free and it's packed with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Their high-performance formula set the bar high with uncompromising standards, so no wonder their bestsellers boast thousands of glowing five-star reviews. And what also makes them even more special is that every purchase with Thrive Cosmetics contributes to making communities thrive. Hence the name. I mean, it's also spelled C-A-U-S-E Medics. Thrive Cosmetics. So it's not just about beauty. I mean, they're truly about giving back. So with your support, they donate products and funds to support communities in need through responsive giving. That's why they've been my beauty obsession since 2020. I've been using their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara since 2020. I mean, this is a magical mascara that lasts all day without a hint of clumping or smudging or flaking. And removal is a breeze as all I need is warm water and a washcloth. Pretty simple. And also here's the best part. The nourishing ingredients in this flake free tubing formula not only gives you the length and definition that you crave, but also it supports longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's a love story for your lashes. So Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 20% off your first order. Uh, yes, there's so many reasons to consider seeking professional help as you happen to have a variety of evidence-based approaches and therapeutic techniques. But also, I mean, you've also seen so many clients with a variety of different traumas and you're able to help them navigate and perhaps even see the root of it. And um, I, even though I know therapy can be expensive, if there's a way, there's if there's any sort of way, I think that it I at least highly, highly recommend it. It's helped me. Yeah, I think that, you know, the important thing also that I think people don't realize, which I didn't realize until I started studying, is that trauma is an adjunct education. And what I mean by that is you're not really learning the effects of trauma on the brain, on the mind, on the body, on the soul in medical school, or when you are a licensed therapist or a licensed social worker. All of the neuroscience and all of this material that we now understand is really continued education. So unless someone is actually been studying it, unless someone actually understands the nervous system and understands how the brain works, then you're not necessarily going to get the right. And they, they, they actually are practitioners in different trauma modalities, whether that's EMDR or somatic experiencing IFS or sensory motor psychotherapy, and really also not only they study it, but they also have a deep understanding of the other modalities that maybe they don't practice because it's not one and done. It's you have to have an understanding of all of it in order to be able to direct your 
client or yourself in which one to do at which time and why. Right. So everyone is so different. And did you have a go-to modality though that you usually go to for most people that you recommend for healing trauma and achieving what you help others do, achieving soul-centered wellness? I mean, I look at everything through the lens of soul variety. I believe that all the trauma modalities, whether they're body-oriented or they're top-down or body-up, right, they're all effective. It's about also taking into account that each person has had their own unique experience and their own meaning that they've then applied to that experience. So I think you need to be able to be fluid in which modality you're working with. And if you're someone that has done EMDR or done somatic experiencing or are starting to hear about parts work, if that's not resonating with you, if that work doesn't feel like it's connecting on a deep level, on a soul level, then move to a different one then that's okay. You really have to trust yourself and trust that your deepest sense and knowing of yourself, that soul self is going to guide you to gain the insight that you need. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I'm curious, how does trauma impact relationships and what strategies can help these individuals navigate these challenges? Well, trauma impacts any individual's ability to really form or maintain healthy relationships because you may be having difficulty with trust or emotional intimacy or attachment. Oftentimes you'll see trauma, trauma survivors, you know, withdraw or not wanting to be involved in a lot of social interactions, or they might isolate, or they struggle with feeling disconnected from other people. So really, it's about doing the inner work. It's really about being able to work on that trust, work on having secure attachments in your life, and really having a sense of self. Mm, oh, yes, I think that is so, so, so important. And I know that there are ways that people can implement something into their daily life to perhaps begin to heal or at least understand these traumatic wounds and do that the inner work. Do you have any examples of what people can implement into their life on a daily basis? I mean, on a daily basis, anything that's going to be grounding that's going to bring because what happens is when you're experiencing a trigger it's going right to it's taking you offline it's taking you out of your prefrontal cortex right it's it's going into your amygdala and saying trigger 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 danger 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 and so immediately when that happens you're shut down in your prefrontal cortex. You're no longer able to make a decision, think clearly, any of those things. So what you want to do on a daily basis is make sure that you're doing mindfulness, that you're doing grounding exercises, that you're really doing self-care, that you're eating, you're sleeping, you're exercising, you're relaxing, you're letting the trauma move through your body, whether it's dancing or movement. You're setting boundaries so that you feel safe. Maybe you're journaling. Anything that's going to get you back online. Oh, yes. What if a loved one happens to shut down or someone that you really care about uh, and you notice it, you recognize it, and obviously you know that it's up to them, of course, to work through it. However, is it possible to help them out in any way, even if they shut you out because of 
a trigger or something? Is there any way to help them navigate this or just help them out in general? A couple of things I I will tell families, especially if they're living with someone who is consistently getting triggered, is an easy, a good way to help someone get grounded is to maybe do a body scan. Yes, I love a body scan. It's wild how grounding it is. And I think it's important to emphasize how you talk about in a non-judgmental, just recognize whatever's going on in a non-judgmental way. I'm curious what role does non-judgment and also self-compassion play in our healing process and how can we as individual individuals cultivate it? Well, the answer to that is empathy, right? It's the cure, right, for shame. And that's what so many people are living with. And shame is a personal belief about yourself. It's a feeling that is that you actually feel like something is wrong with you as a person and that you you yourself are not okay. And living with that, that pain of that deep feeling is excruciating. And, you know, the antidote to that is naming it, really naming what is happening. I'm feeling shame and really being able to, once you highlight it, once the secret's out about your shame, that, that sort of enables it to dissipate and you can have empathy for yourself and recognize that a lot of these emotions and these feelings that we're having are, are normal responses. Like we are not, they're normal responses that are coming up because it's part of our brain that's trying to protect ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we're human. We're only human. And of course, there's going to be something that, you know, might not always feel 100% okay. And that's okay. Exactly. Exactly. I'm curious also how long, typically, of course, it very much varies. But do you believe the healing process usually takes and what factors perhaps might influence the duration? Well, I'm still on the healing. So we're all healing. I, I think it's, it's love. It's layers, right? Yeah. So I talk about living a lifestyle of growing down, that we're all inevitably growing up, but growing down is a choice where we're going to keep looking at what lies underneath. We're going to keep on going down into the roots of what else is there, layer by layer by layer, and not just wait for our unconscious material to arise on its own, because it will, but maybe take the time to tap into the unconscious, whether that's through our imagination or through journaling or through art, or dream work, or active imagination, many ways that we can tap into the unconscious. So for me, it's not about just waiting for, right, this information to come up, but to know that I can deliberately try to have what is unknown known. Unknown knowing? No, to have what is unknown to me now known. Oh, yes. Unknown now known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's essentially growing down. That's such an interesting, con- I never thought about this before. Growing down. Wow. How, how do you recommend we first assess this growing down and begin to grow down? If you look, if you, okay. If you can close your eyes and you can have an image of what's going on inside of you, sort of this this inner world and your soul self, the essence 
right, of, of who you are, this unique way of being in this world. And if you're looking at that, you know that soul is not just what you consciously remember, like we talked about in the beginning, but also what is unconscious. And essentially, we need to, right, it's not, there's a saying, like, it's not, like, your complexes are going to be there. But if you don't know what they are, how can you work on them? So essentially, we want to bring what is unconscious, which I think of as below. Like, if you think of an iceberg, you see the tip of it. That's our conscious mind. Our unconscious mind is everything else underneath the water. That whole other world underneath the surface of the water. And that is all the stuff that we need to tap into. And that is the art of growing down. The art of growing down. That's your next book title. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) I'm writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious also, how do you work with clients to look underneath the surface of the water? And perhaps also they happen to have some resistance or difficulty in processing their trauma, traumatic experiences and looking underneath the surface. How do you usually work with the clients who resist? That's a great question. I... It's interesting because I have two types of clients. I have clients that are really in crisis where we're really working on assessing and not looking for the story of the traumatic event, but I'm really looking for the effects of the trauma. So I'm using my methodology to really sense what's been going on and then be able to put in into action the right treatment plan, the right practitioners, all of that for the individual, for the family. And then I have other... Yeah, and so... I'm really assessing what I found in my own recovery work and before I even came into the addiction field was that, you know, I, my, my previous vocation was I was an attorney at one time and then I worked as a talent agent and it made sense to me that when people had a legal issue, they came to me as an attorney when people wanted career advice, they would come to me as an agent. But when you ha- are suffering from mental health or addiction or trauma, we find ourselves Googling or asking a friend or talking to a therapist and really not, there's no place, there's no, right? There's no job description of someone that you go to. And that's what I wanted to create with RMA, Recovery Management Agency, was a place where people could go and say, hey, here's here's my symptoms. Here's what's happening. And I don't know what to do. I don't even know what I don't know. And so we're really a place that can then assess the whole situation look for underlying root causes. So we're not just treating symptoms. We're taking a much more functional medicine approach to mental and behavioral health. And then with my knowledge and the knowledge of all the other managers that work with me and all the experts, we're then looking at it differently. We're looking at it through a different lens than I think most people are. And so we're really dealing with putting together what's going to be most appropriate for them at that point in time. But to get back to your question that you asked, which feels like a half an hour ago, it is I'm using sobriety as a lens and a method to really understand their inner world before they're ready to. But... 
then there's a time in their healing process where they are ready. And so I slowly start to introduce that in a way that makes sense for them. And, you know, and then I also have clients that are, have been doing the healing work for a very long time and really want to go into, you know, what, what is, what does this mean? Where's my life going? You know, really going to that part of my life when I was having an existential crisis of meaning and realized what else is there? right? That question, we start to hear these whispers from soul saying, is this, do I want to be in this relationship? Is this the right job for me? What am I doing living in, living over here? These real questions that will pop up as we're walking through our ordinary life, we're going to start to hear these whispers. And, you know, I call this the soul journey where there's these 12 steps that everyone's going to go on on each soul journey that we take where first we start to hear these whispers and inevitably our first reaction is going to be shush, 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 not ready to answer. That is way too big of a question. I'm just going to go on with my life, go to work, come home, watch Netflix, eat dinner, go to bed. And I'm not going to look at these big questions. And then maybe some sort of guide will appear in the form of a podcast, a book, an encounter with someone. And maybe you say, oh, wait, that resonates with me. Oh, that person did that? Oh, that this is possible? This thing makes sense? And you decide in your own life, to take a leap of faith and pull that thread, right? Get curious about what that means. Grow, start to grow down, right? Start to grow down. And inevitably at stage six, after you've decided to grow down, I call stage six lions and tigers and bears, oh no. Because what will inevitably happen is you'll run into roadblocks and you'll run into complexes and you'll run into brick walls that you didn't think were going to be there. And you will feel like, oh my God, I made this is all wrong. But there's something in you that's like, no, I need to conquer this. I need to fight through this. I need to slay these dragons. I need to keep going. And you'll get to a threshold And that will be sort of your moment of truth. And you'll feel like, oh my God, I've got this. I figured it out. And that is when we kind of resort back into a dark night. And those dark nights that happen are essentially an opportunity for us to really alchemize our pain into purpose and not be afraid of the dark and sit in it because that is essentially where the wisdom comes from. We don't become wise without having experiences in our life, right? And once we become wise, once we become enlightened, then we can share our wisdom with others. And I often talk about we can share, we can teach, but we need to do it from a from a place of our scars, not from our wounds. Ooh, I think that we can all relate deeply to this. And some people might be listening and they are on the precipice of healing or they feel like they're going through the dark set night of the soul moment and they can't totally understand why perhaps they had a reemergence of trauma related issues. And what do you recommend for those who just, they're so close, they're on the precipice, they're almost there. um, And maybe they even went through therapy and that has concluded, but they still, something keeps coming up and they just feel stuck. What do you recommend for them? I, oh, when it comes to trauma, I can't emphasize this enough. I, 
you have to seek a professional who is trauma focused. Yeah. That being said, I'll just speak for myself. So I had been sober a long time and I had gone to school. I had my master's and doctorate in depth psychology. I'd focused on trauma and neuroscience. And, and then I had gone through a really bad breakup and it really put me in a dark night. And I really believed and had done a tremendous amount of work during that dark night, a lot of work on my own with imaging, with journaling, going into the cave, as I talk about in the book, and really, really taking time to alchemize it and really looking at my part. But then when lockdown happened, when we first had Corona, I was alone in my apartment and I was incredibly sick. I ended up being sick from mold poisoning, but I didn't know why I was sick at the time. And I was really triggered. All of like my unfinished trauma wounds started surfacing and I was just really dysregulated. And because you're never, you're never done. But I knew enough that it was time for me to do some work. So I started doing somatic experiencing during that time. I was ready to do that kind of work. And I was really clear on the images and the sensations and the feelings that were in my body. And I was really ready at that point in my life, but this is only a couple of years ago, to do that specific type of work, which really helped. But I've done lots of different types of trauma work over the years. Of course. And thank you so much for sharing your personal story. I love how this day and age, the stigma of mental health is completely shifting. And you were talking about how people will turn on a podcast or a show or something, and there's something that people are expressing about their life. They're opening up, they're being vulnerable, and you know, people feel like they're seen, they're heard, they're understood, they relate. And it could be a celebrity even. You talk about the benefits of celebrity transparency in regards to to their mental health. So I'm curious what you see and if there, if you think that there even needs to be a bigger shift in, in people opening up and celebrity transparency. I mean, I think it's incredibly brave when a celebrity or someone that's well-known discusses their mental health from a place that is really authentic, from a place that is vulnerable because it really brings positive attention, which creates empathy. And it really brings, it raises awareness about topics and different modalities that we might not otherwise see. And it gives permission to people to feel like they're not alone. I so many of my younger clients, the adolescents, the young adults, they are so moved and it gives them such courage when they see someone that's come out to talk about their own experience, whether it's in a book or in a song or, you know, in a Netflix special or a comedy special. It's so powerful the way that artists can do, can tell their stories, right? So as long as they're using their platform from a place of vulnerability, authenticity, and sharing, like I said, from their scars and not their wounds, it's really going to have a massive effect. And just, you know, for the average people, I mean, who I remember writing sobriety and writing sentences or paragraphs about my trauma and thinking, who's going to care? Like, who cares what happened to me? Who cares about this story? Like, is, is 
And I just kept going back to one person might care. One person might relate to this story. Just keep going. Just keep going. But essentially, that's all there is, right? All we have is our own personal experiences and storytelling. And the world needs a shift. The world needs connection. And we need to connect on a soul level. Period. Now, of course, we are, you have your resource, your brilliant resource, Solbriety, uh, which came out last year. But uh, do you have any other recommendations for individuals seeking additional information or support in their healing journey? My website is drhallerman.com, D-R-Hallerman, H-A-L-L-E-R-M-A-N.com. And there's a lot of resources on there. And there's a lot of information, there's articles, and there's websites, and lots of links and things like that. You can always call us and have a 15-minute free consultation (laughs) um, about what's going on. And if we're not the place for you, we will guide you in the right direction. And... And then you can follow me on Instagram where I'm trying to give you information and tools and bring your awareness to different things. And that's Dr. Elisa Hallerman. So those are ways to connect. Of course. And of course, that is in the show notes. Also, how has your life changed since sobriety came out? Um, it, yeah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, my life hasn't changed, right? but the thing that I'm enjoying the most is this opportunity to meet so many new people. Yeah. And that has been incredible. Just being able to meet new people, meet people that are like-minded, you know, meet some of the people that have taught me over the years and really getting to know and a lot of, you know, strangers and mm-hmm. hearing their stories. I mean, that just lights me up when I get a DM or an email from someone and they want to tell me their story or how maybe the book changed their perspective or got them sober and wow. they have X amount of days. Like that's wow. I mean, right? That's everything. Yeah. And you know, and recently I started hearing from once people were able to get the Audible book, it started to be able to reach other countries. And awesome. when I hear from people in other countries in you know uh, that blows my mind. Yeah. Is that's wild, right? <laughs> that that part is wild, but it's really not about, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. The book, you know, it has its own soul. It's out there healing and helping and sitting on people's nightstands and maybe they're just looking at it and they haven't opened it up yet, but it's having its own life. But what lights me up is hearing from people. Oh, I love that. That really makes a difference absolutely absolutely and this question your answer at least will likely be different than whatever you answered last time so today how would you advise your own magic listeners to create their own magic i don't remember what i said last time so that's exactly exactly (laughs) Mm, i think the best way to create your own magic is to listen to those whispers and Soul is not going to lead you the wrong way. So if we can get quiet enough and we can pay attention and we can listen to those messages, that's where the magic is. That is 
Beautifully said, Dr. Elisa. I just absolutely love chatting with you. You have such a great energy and I love being able to receive and listen to your psychological knowledge, but also very soulful wisdom because you have been through a lot in life and you're such an inspiration. And I just, I thank you so much for coming on the show for a second time and hopefully we can connect again one day. Yes, absolutely. I don't know where you are in the world and you don't have to be on the podcast, but definitely. Utah. Oh, you're in Utah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we will definitely connect again. And when I'm out there next, which is often because there's a lot of treatment out there. Yes. We will maybe meet in person. Oh, if you are in Utah, please. Yes. Reach out to me. That'd be amazing. I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah. Same if you're in, if you're in California. Yes. Yes. LA specifically, not anywhere in California. I'm in LA for like a day for a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm I'm a Swifty as well. How could you not be? I know how could you not be? I'll be going to the show as well. I mean, she's the essence of right. Talk about sharing from a soul place. I know her her lyrics, her poetry, her vulnerability. That's you know she's she's growing down. So yes. Yes, she does. When you were talking about that too, relating to someone's lyrics, I was looking over at my vinyls, which are mostly Taylor vinyls. And I was thinking like, yep, her music truly saved me in so many ways. I I hear that. I hear that. Music is (laughs) an incredible, incredible source of healing. Yeah. Yes, it is. It really is. And so Dr. Lisa, yes, let's please, let's reconnect again one day. And I'm so thankful you came on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Raquel. It was awesome. And uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yo, me, say hi to me on threads. I just got a threads. My username is Raquel Mantra, R-A-Q-U-E-L-L-E Mantra. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and or leave a five-star rating and review and tell me what you thought of the show or any show that connected with you. Feel free to say hi in the Your Own Magic Facebook group, or feel free to leave a comment or a topic idea for a future episode in the topic box on our site, yourownmagic.com, and I have some free old meditations for you there if you want to enjoy those. I need to add more. Someone remind me. Someone remind me to do more meditations. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope you have a magical rest of your week. Gemma.